the story of Elijah revolves around two God-given commands. Uh, the first one is found here in verse 3 of our Bible reading. Uh, this was what God gave uh, by way of commandment to Elijah. He says, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Hereth that is before Jordan. So the first command was, Go hide thyself. And this refers to the private aspect of his life and his service. Do you remember John chapter 10 and the parable there, the story of the good shepherd and the sheep and so on? You read in verse 9 about going in, sheep going in and going out. Well, this is what the Lord told Elijah to do. Go hide thyself. Uh, get in to the place of fellowship with God. And that also speaks to us of the prayer ministry of the, say, apostles in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. So the first command, go hide thyself, private aspect of his life. And then the second great command is found at the beginning of chapter 18, verse 1. Notice again the command, uh, the Lord uses that term, go, go. Show thyself unto Ahab. So first of all, God says, go hide thyself. And now he comes and he says, go show thyself. This refers to the public aspect of his life. Or as I mentioned from John chapter 10, verse 9, the going out. You think of John chapter 10, the sheep are going into the fold. Into the presence of the shepherd. To enjoy communion or fellowship with him. And then they're going out into the pastures to be fed. So there's the thought here of going in to meet with the shepherd to enjoy communion. And then after enjoying communion with him, going out into the field of service to serve the Lord. So it refers to the public aspect of uh, Elijah's life or his preaching ministry. Uh, the apostles in Acts chapter uh, six, they were to get to the place of prayer that they might go forward preaching the gospel. So here we have this, this thought of the private aspect and then the public aspect of things. And we as the people of God need to enter into that private place, place of communion and fellowship with God to meet with the shepherd. And then as the sheep we follow uh, the master as the door is opened and the shepherd usually was the door of the sheepfold uh, who lay across the door uh, to protect the sheep from wolves or predators who would come. When Christ, the door, removes himself, he leads us out into the place of service, serving the Lord. So here's a good word of advice uh, to those involved in the service of God, whatever uh, capacity that may be. You need to get alone with God first of all before you can really successfully engage in any kind of public ministry. And I think that's one of the simple lessons we can glean from the story before us of this great man who accomplished great things. He wasn't perfect, he was far from it. But uh, I would like to have the power that he had when he prayed fire down from heaven in spite of his faults, in spite of his failures. He was a mighty prophet of God during the reigns of Ahab. Ahab was a wicked man. 
You think Boris Johnson's a bad man? Ahab was a real terrible terror. I don't know what kind of hair he had, but uh, he was a terror, you know. And uh, Ahaziah in the northern kingdom of Israel at around 873, uh, 852 BC. And he shaped the history of his nation and of his time and dominated Hebrew thinking for many centuries afterwards. He was a mighty man. But here we see even in this, God was speaking to him. Go hide thyself. Get alone. And then go show thyself. Go and perform a service for me. I give you a word. I give you power. You go and meet uh, and go into the very lion's den. And that's what he did. He went into the lion's den when he stood before uh, Ahab. Now, when you think of his strange dress and appearance, uh, you, you pick that up in Second Kings chapter 1. Uh, fleetness of foot. Remember how he ran before the chariot of Ahab. Chapter 19 and verse 8. And his cave dwelling habits. And chapter 3 and then in other places as well. It all suggests a robust outdoor type uh, personality. A man who was ideally or suited for this particular task. It's not the task maybe that I could have done. I'm a bookman myself, but you get other kinds of people who are more robust uh, for the outdoor life. Uh, and so this is the kind of man that God laid his hand upon and used for his glory. Everybody's different. It's not everybody that can stand in open air and preach. Uh, it's not everyone who can maybe sit before a computer and uh, have a, uh, maybe 10 or 11 Bible study books before them trying to study something. It doesn't work for some people. But we're, we're all made in a certain way and God has given to us certain gifts and abilities and opportunities to, opportunities to do different things. So if the Lord has moved us and he's equipped us, then we should put what he's given us to good use by being involved in the service of God. But the point is this, we need to get alone with him first of all before we stand for him in the public place, preaching or doing a service for God in his service. So we don't know a lot about his background, but we note a few suggestive things about him from the opening verse of the chapter. Well, first of all, he was a man who stood before God. He said, as the Lord, as the Lord before whom I stand, before whom I stand. He stood before God before he stood before Ahab. That's the point I've been emphasizing. And this is uh, applicable to Christian workers. He stood before God before he stood before Ahab. And then we can apply this to Christians. We have a standing before God in Christ. Isn't that a tremendous thought? We are perfect. We're complete in him because we are in Christ. We've got a perfect standing before God. And that entitles us to come into his presence at any time through the mediation of Christ, the great high priest, the one at God's right hand, whoever lives on our behalf. We're not alone. We're not alone tonight, even in this time of prayer. He's interceding for us in the power of an endless life and the trials and troubles of life that we encounter. He's there when those things come our way. Standing for us, praying for us, interceding for us. The presence of God the Father. He was a man who stood before God. Then he was a man who was surrendered to God because when God spoke to him, it says that he went and he... Uh, saith unto Ahab God gave him a word God put the word into his mouth he told him what to say 
And for a Sunday school teacher, that's a good thing to give attention to. For a youth worker, for someone who is involved in open-air work, get a word put into your mouth by God. And it doesn't matter what opposition you face or what opposition you meet. When you give the word that God has given to you, God will bless it. He's duly bound to do that because his word will not return unto him void. That's what he says. And so he gave the word that God gave to him. But he received the word, you see, as he engaged in the quiet place. And he was fitted and able to stand in the public place before that awful man. That man who was ready to tear him to pieces. He really was in the lion's den. And uh, he took his life in his hands when he stood there in the presence of Ahab. God spake and he obeyed. And he was prepared to do whatever God asked him to do. He was a man who spoke for God. And he said, there shall not be any rain, but according to my word. It was not a popular message. We don't have a popular message to preach. But it's the only message that can change lives change hearts and, and sometimes we do tremble and sometimes we do fear but God will give unto us all that we need in the service of God I can remember standing in the open air as a young man round at the back of the church in Ballymena many many years ago I was preaching in the open air and a group of uh, people from the church were standing behind me I was conscious of a figure approaching me from my right hand side and uh, I could hear the footsteps coming he was almost running to me and he came right up to the group and he stood right in my face as close as that there and uh, I was panicking on the inside trembling on the inside but I kept on preaching the word as God enabled me and uh, he still shouted and bantered away and he saw that I wasn't going to give up. I just preached Christ. I didn't say unto him. I preached the word. And the next thing, he reached and he removed the microphone from before me. I kept on preaching. And then I could see this hand coming out from behind me. And this hand reached out and took the microphone and said, put it back. And I continued on preaching. The Lord just gave that grace and that courage and the man retreated. I was waiting for a punch to land in my nose, but thankfully it didn't. Uh, praise the Lord for that. But then the police arrived, and uh, we thought we were going to be arrested. It didn't happen. But people who were there saw what had happened, and they came out to us at the end of this and said, you come back next week. So we had an invitation, you see, to go back the next week. So we headed to the same place, next Sunday night and before we ever started the police car arrived on the scene but the person in charge he happened to know some of the men and uh, nothing really happened and so the gospel went forth I was trembling on the inside I'm, by, I'm not brave by any stretch of imagination I'm not courageous but the Lord just gave grace at that moment to continue preaching Christ I just spoke the word God had given to me. So here's a man who faithfully discharged his duty. Okay. But I, I'm just getting warmed up, but I'll soon have to finish. I'll maybe get through one of these points. Elijah then is directed to the brook. That's really the first point. Elijah is directed to the brook. And the Lord 
came unto him, saying, in verse 2, The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Hereth that is before Jordan. Now, this is a form, formula found often throughout scriptures. First mentioned way back in Genesis 15, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. And in every age, it's the word of God that alone directs the life of the believer. Arthur Pink said, God does not grant fresh revelations until there has been a compliance with those given uh, clearly, already given. Another uh, author said, if you're confused about the will of God for today, it may be as a result of having not obeyed the will of God yesterday. So the point that I want to get across is this. When God speaks to us, he expects us to obey that voice or that command. And if we do that, if we take that step of faith, then we can expect God to get more light, to throw more light on the, the subject, to give the guidance that we need. But if we refuse to obey what he says unto us initially, then we cannot expect him just to speak until we comply with his request. Whenever God speaks, he expects it to be obeyed. And uh, there may be someone here and you're struggling about uh, the will of God or confused about things. Maybe God has asked you to do something recently or in the past uh, and he spoke to you very clearly about it and, and you haven't done it yet. And there's that wee niggly thing going on in your mind and heart that's convicting you about it and saying, well, if you want to get blessed, if you want more light, you've got to comply with the light you have received. Once you comply with the light that you have received, then God is duty bound to get more light to make things clear so that you will no longer be confused. So God spoke to him and he gave him this direction and uh, he expected Elijah to obey. It was a speaking word. For it came unto him saying, the word spoke to him. That's a wonderful thing when the word actually speaks to you. When you get a word from God, when it comes and you can't get it out of your mind, you can't get it out of your heart, it's just there. It's a wonderful thing when that happens. To know that he cares enough to speak to you. To know that he cares enough to guide you, to be with you, to draw near to you. It came unto him saying, the word spoke to him. Just as clearly as it came to Samuel when he was a boy. It's a wonderful thing when God speaks to his people. But then it was a very specific word because the Lord said, turn the eastward and hide thyself by the brook Kerith, which is before Jordan. So it's eastward, it's by a brook, a specific brook Kerith, that is before Jordan. There's no mistake about it. And when God speaks, he will make it clear to us. There'll be no mistakes about it. What he wants us to do, the course he wants us to take, the path he wants us to pursue. When he does have something for us to do, he will make it clear. There was a time when I received a call to a church. I still have the call uh, at home. 160 names on it. I had been unsettled in the church I was in. I had been uh, moved. I had been sitting on my knees beside my desk praying about the matter when the telephone rang. 
And I answered the phone. I normally don't do that, but I answered the phone for some reason. It was another minister inquiring if I would be interested in taking a call to this particular church. So here am I on my knees, praying that God would guide me. I felt unsettled, and I'm praying about it. The very thing, at that particular point of time, the phone rings, and this minister asks me about this call. Uh, would you like to come and preach? And... Uh, let come down to see the area and that kind of thing. So obviously I was thinking, this is the mind of God. This is the Lord opening up this door of opportunity for me. And so we did all those things, preached in the congregation. The congregation met. I was actually sitting in Israel at an East Jerusalem hotel. Yasser Arafat actually had a meeting that day in the hotel. And we were coming home that evening and all his officials were there. And that was a trying time there, but he had been there that very day. And I was sitting there, and one of my friends, my colleagues, had been on the phone with somebody at home to tell Derek he's got a call to this church. 160 names. So you would expect, this is the will of God for me. I, I was presented with a call, and I asked for the month to think about things as a, a minister's entitled to do. After that, I was tormented for the next month. I, I was in an awful, awful state about the whole thing. Confused, troubled, burdened. Didn't know what to do. And it came to the night of the presbytery when I was to answer that call. And I sought out the help of Dr. Douglas. And I explained the way I was feeling. And he gave a little laugh, as he usually would do, smiled. He says, I envy people who can get everything settled inside a month. He says, when I was moving from that particular church, I asked for a second month myself to consider moving from there to the church I ended up in. And so I took his advice. I asked Presbytery for an extra month. See, when I got that permission, the burden rolled away. And for the rest of that month until the time I came before Presbyter again, I had no desire whatsoever to go to that place. And the Lord just took away the desire. And that night then when I came, eventually I was able to say, no, I'm not moving, I'm not going. A year and a half later, I did get a call elsewhere and I went there. It's strange. It can be confusing at times. But I think I followed the right path, the right guidance, and waited upon the Lord. I could have moved quickly, grieved the Spirit of God, but I just bowed myself before him, and he led the way. And everything worked out to the glory of God. It was a speaking word, a specific word, and it was a sure word, it shall be, I have commanded it, verse 4. Now, why did the Lord send Elijah to Kerith to begin with? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Why did the Lord send him there anyway? Could the Lord not give him courage enough to stand and continue on before Ahab and Jezebel? What? Has he compromising here? Why does he not go and, and, and continue on preaching? Why? It was to preserve him. 
Philip Keller said because of the temper of the time any man who took such a daring stand of faith in God was marked for liquidation. Back uh, in the States, there's a program on there, it was on, America's Most Wanted. Elijah was the number one on the list of Ahab's most wanted list in Israel. He was the one who troubled Israel, according to him. Had he remained in the public domain, he would have been arrested and killed. So God taught his servant to use a bit of common sense. A bit of common sense. You could become a martyr. I don't want you to become a martyr. I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. Some people want to become martyrs. And all the while God may be saying, just you sit in the background and say nothing. Just you get to the place I want you to be at. And let me do the rest. And that's exactly what he did. It was to preserve him. He used common sense. Sometimes that's a useful thing, using a bit of common sense. And then it was to prepare him. God had a plan for him. Why do I say that? In verse 1, he has called Elijah the Tishbite, a stranger here. That's what that word Tishbite means. But in verse 24, he's described as a man of God. At the start of the chapter, simply Elijah from a town somewhere in Gilead. But by the end of the chapter, he emerges as a man of God. How come? God accomplished that by sending him to a school of the University of the Dry Brook. Kareth, the brook dried up. Oh, everything was going well, the brook dried up. Had he proved God? We need to prove God in our day. Kareth is from a verb meaning to cut off or to cut down. And it's used both ways in, in the Old Testament. It's used of being cut off from others or from the covenant of the covenant blessings. And also being cut down as one might cut down a tall timber. God cut Elijah off from public view so that he might cut him down to size. Just as the silversmith heats the silver and skims off the dross until he can see his image in the silver. So God will work in our lives to purge us. So God wants to preserve his servant. God wants to prepare his servant. And then God wants to punish the people. Go hide yourself. It's a different word from uh, the word that is found there in Joshua about where Rahab hid the, the, the spies uh, or where Obadiah, Obadiah hid the 100 prophets in the cave. Uh, the word that is used here means to absent thyself. As in the story of Laban and Jacob, the Lord watched between me and thee when we were absent one from another. And the word suggests the idea of concealment, of being absent on purpose, absent thyself in secrecy. The removal of the minister or the ministers is a sure sign of God's displeasure. When God was displeased with Israel, God withdrew the prophets. God withdrew the preachers. You, you take the, the, the time between the Old and New Testament, 400 years, no word from God. God was displeased. There was a silence. Seven years, 400 years, he withdraws his preachers. He withdraws the prophets. He allows the people just a dose of their own uh, rebellious ways by way of chastening. It was a, it's a great curse when God hides his preachers. The rain had been withheld and now the prophet had been withdrawn. You see that? Uh, there's the natural thing. The rain had been withheld. No crops. Oh, just keep the... Keep them in the situation in the days to come. God might touch 
the cross. God might withhold the rain and God may withdraw the prophets. Sad times in Israel. Abraham Lincoln once said, I've got to come to a close. I'm satisfied that when the Almighty wants me to do or not to do any particular thing, he finds a way of letting me know. Elijah became the hidden one, a picture of every child of God because our lives are hid with Christ and God. And God will honor uh, those hidden ones that he mentions in Psalm 83, verse 3. And all such abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That word abide means lodge. You see the birds flocking to that particular tree, lodging there in the branches of the tree. I have a lovely picture of, I uh, saw it, I can't remember where it was, uh, down by the sea. Oh, there was a gale, there was a storm, and it was an awful place. And there was this bird sitting in one of the branches, a perfect peace. That's the child of God under the wings of God, under his shadow, abiding there in his presence. That's when we get into a quiet place, the private place. He fits us to stand in the public place. And no matter what the opposition may be, if we declare what he puts in our hearts to declare and stand firm and true to him, then he will see to it that we will be preserved and kept and blessed and we will continue. And Elijah didn't die. Never did die. He got a real uh, Rolls Royce uh, transportation to glory. An amazing thing happened to him. So who would fear getting into the presence of Ahab with such a God and with all the transportation available that was available to him when he suddenly went home to glory? So we'll come back again next week and then we'll get to Ezra eventually. That's the first point anyway. Three more. There might be three or four nights before we get to it, but we'll just leave it there anyway. Let's put by for prayer. Seek the Lord.